morning, everyone. I hope everyone is doing well and wonderfully today. Heavenly Father, we do praise him. Thank you. You are the Lord of Lords. You, you are the King of Kings. You are mighty and powerful. And you have this, this world and each of us in the palm of your hand. And we praise you and thank you for this. Lord, when we look out and see things that worry us, they don't worry you because you know what will happen and what's going to take place and everything is in your hand. So we pray, Lord, this morning that you continue to give us confidence, that you grant that we might have joy and you grant, Lord, that we might good, be good witnesses of your mercy and grace in this world. In, and we ask you to be with us today as we worship you, to touch Ray, Pastor Ray, that his message may be clear and move our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good morning. I am the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Many people say today there's no such thing as absolute truth. From philosophers to pop musicians, the word goes out that truth is only what you want it to be, and what is true isn't always necessarily true for you or anyone else, just me. But Jesus Christ is the absolute truth. Dozens of times he declares, I tell you the truth. In one of his boldest and most uncompromising statements, he affirmed, I am the truth, the way, and the life. The writer of the Gospel of John stated, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. James said that God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Do not be misled by the moral and spiritual relativity of our age. God has revealed his truth to us in his written word, the Bible, and in the living word, Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is the absolute truth, you can depend on him absolutely. The hope for today, there have been those who have attempted to rewrite the history books. Scientific theories have been proven false. Scripture has stood the test of time, and there is comfort in knowing that the generations that have come before us have turned to that same truth found in its pages.
Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm 36. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. O continue your loving kindness to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the workers of iniquity have fallen. They have been cast down and are not able to rise. For our congregational prayer, we're going to read Psalm 23. If you'd like to stand with me to do that. Or not. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.
Testament reading today comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossus, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the, the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Ephorus, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. If you'll join me now in the responsive reading. Father, creator of all, thank you for summer. Thank you for the beauty I see all around me and for the opportunity to be outside and enjoy your creation. Thank you for the increased time I have to be with friends and family and for the, most, the more casual pace of the summer season. Draw me closer to you this summer. Teach me how I can pray no, no matter where I am or what I'm doing. Warm my soul with awareness of your presence and light my path with your word and counsel. As I enjoy your creation, create in me a pure heart and a hunger and thirst for you. Amen. Do you think that came written by somebody who lived in it? in a climate where they couldn't go out a year round. <laughs> Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, all you've created all, all belongs to you. And as we, as we give our gifts, we give them freely and we give them with the hope and the knowledge that we intend to have them used to further your kingdom, to keep, to share with others your word so that others can come to know you and know the joy of being part of your family. Lord, we lift this up in your son Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to rise for the doxology. <laughs>
to a city I cannot see Through the depths of the valley where the sun can't reach I've been high, I've been low I've been looking for the river that could fill my soul Been walking to a city I cannot see Father, this morning, uh, indeed, we ask that you fill our cup. Father, uh, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts and minds to comprehend the great, great goodness that we find in you. Father, I ask that you rest your Holy Spirit on every heart this morning. Speak to us. Give us the, the power, the love, the grace that you intended that we live in, that we thrive in. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been walking to a city I cannot see, through the depths of the valley where the sun can't reach. I've been walking over lies standing in my way. They can say what they want. I don't want what they say. Fill my cup, Lord. Run it over. I am your child in need. I was born far from home, but I've been thriving in the wonder of the great unknown because I'm drinking from a well from another place. So fill my cup, Lord run it over. I heard an interview of uh, Andrew Rip, who's the gentleman who sings this song just a day or so ago, and he said, uh, this song is it's not about me. 
I'm not asking the Lord to fill my cup for my benefit, but I'm asking Him to fill my cup where it's brimming over so that I slosh the joy that I find in the Lord. I slosh that all over everyone I meet. Jabez in the Old Testament prayed a very similar prayer. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, O Lord, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me. Jabez wasn't praying this prayer for himself. He was praying for more territory so he could have greater influence for his God, so that he could have power to advance the kingdom of God. And because that was a selfless prayer, God answered that prayer. Although we are walking to a city we cannot see, we have to walk through a city we cannot see. To get to that new Jerusalem, we have to walk through the empires, the invisible empires that Satan has erected to impede our progress. We're like the children of Israel to enter the rest of the promised land. We have to go through Jericho. We have to conquer Jericho. We can see Jericho, but we can't see the evil empire who influences it. From second, excuse me, from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. A godless society and a God-rejecting world has been seen before on this earth. Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 30. These are Jesus' words. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat, and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot, People went about their daily business, eating, drinking, buying, selling, farming, building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from the heaven and destroyed them all. Yet it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. This scripture is a type or an analogy of the rapture of the church. Noah and his family, eight people in all, were rescued from a godless society. The floods came and wiped that entire society out. Lot and his family were delivered, actually escorted out by the angels just before fire and brimstone came down and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. There is truly nothing new under the sun. Let's talk about the church at Ephesus, 60 A.D., more is written about the church at Ephesus in New Testament scripture than any other city. In the books of, the, uh, of, of Ephesians, uh, first and second Timothy, first, second, and third John, the book of Acts, the Revelation, more is written about Ephesus than any other city. What do we know about Ephesus? 
We know it was the Roman capital of Asia Minor. Strabo, the early historian, said that Ephesus was second in size and important only to Rome. In Ephesus was the temple of Artemis. The temple of Artemis was the greatest of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was half again larger and more ornate than the Parthenon. 127 columns, each 60 feet high. A 30-foot ceiling is a very, very tall ceiling. Imagine twice that. 127 columns. Historians of the day, like Pliny, who had seen the other six wonders, said that none of those six compared to the Temple of Artemis. I find it most interesting that all seven of the wonders of the world, earthquakes have destroyed them all. The Colossus of Rhodes, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the Lighthouse of Alexandria, the Statue of Zeus, the only thing that there is any significant remnant of are the pyramids, and they, if you hadn't noticed, are in sad disrepair. This is like the uh, story of uh, the Philistine god Dagon. The Israelites had been defeated in battle and the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen from them by the Philistines. The Philistines were so proud of their victory, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in the temple of Dagon. The next morning they come in and the statue of Dagon flat on his face. And they thought, well, that's unusual. Let's stand him back up. They came in the next morning and Dagon's flat on his face again, but this time his head has fallen off and his hands. They reason, maybe we should move the ark out of our temple. The temple of Artemis, I look at it this way. Satan wanted an edifice raised to himself to rival Solomon's temple. The temple of Artemis employed 1,000 sacred prostitutes. Sacred in that they were priests and priestesses. The worship of Artemis involved having sex with the temple priests and priestesses as a religious act. The temple of Artemis, the, the center of pagan worship in the, the Roman Empire, but does the debauchery of today equal that? Perhaps it does. Gay pride parades have featured men sodomizing each other as they walk in the parade uh, publicly for more than a decade. I remember, of, I didn't see it, but I had a friend who told me of a parade in Austin, Texas, where men were actually sodomizing themselves as they walked down the streets proclaiming gay pride. The debauchery of the day is, is nothing new. Timothy, St. Timothy, was clubbed to death in Ephesus for preaching to a parade, a similar parade of debauchery that had proceeded from the temple of Artemis. They clubbed him and dragged him off and stoned him to death because he dared to preach against what they were doing. So how did St. Paul address the culture at Ephesus? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air. Air in Greek is pronounced very similarly, a-air, but it means far more than you think. The biblical usage of the Greek word here for air means this, particularly the lower and denser air as distinguished from the higher and rarer air of the upper, upper atmosphere. Messianic translators have defined this Greek word as the very air we breathe, and that, breathe, that, that air is filled with demonic activity. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by his grace you have been saved, raised up, and seated with him in heavenly places. For in Christ Jesus, so that in coming ages the Father might show his immeasurable riches of his grace. Heavenly places. Where are these heavenly places? This is a beautiful Greek word. It is pronounced epuranias. Heavenly places. We're, we're going to get deep into heavenly places this morning. Do we have the biblical outline, or the outline of the biblical usage? The first most used meaning of the word epironius is things that take place in heaven or heavenly regions, in the heavenly place. Things that take place in these heavenly places. Where are the heavenly places? When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, are we not talking about heavenly places? The second most used description of the word Eperonianus is the heavenly temple or sanctuary. Hot newsflash. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? The third most used expression or translation of Epironius is of heavenly origin or nature. You are of heavenly origin and nature. Because you are in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can't separate God from his work. You can't separate God's work from those through whom he does his work. That would be you. That would be me. When you do his work, you are of heavenly origin. If you're in Christ, everywhere you go is a heavenly place. The heavenly places are not three heavens high. They're right here where you live. Can you give me the goldfish in the cesspool, please? There you are. That's you and me. We live in a cesspool. But you notice when you go to the local pet store and you buy a goldfish, they give it to you in a plastic bag. We're holy fish swimming in a cesspool. But you notice we have an envelope, an ambiotic sac, if you will, 
that surrounds us and protects us while we're floating in this cesspool. Our ambiotic sac has an umbilical cord that goes to the very throne room of God. Our heavenly places are where we are. Right here, right now. Heavenly places are here. The spiritual realm that surrounds our, spirit, our, our daily lives is literally accessible. It is the arena or sphere of spiritual activity that surrounds us. Therefore, we are walking through invisible empires every day. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but rulers and powers of spiritual wickedness in high places. Where are those high places? It's the same Greek word, epouramios. That spiritual wickedness in high places is where you live and breathe, where you go to work, where you shop. Those are the high places. But remember, you have protection. You are enveloped in Holy Spirit power. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. God's purpose in all this, all this what? All this preaching of the gospel was to use the church to display his wisdom in rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places, right where we are. In the invisible empires in which we live, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. What was St. John's warning to Ephesus? The same warning he gives to us today. This is a paraphrase from 1 John 2, 15 through 17. For this world, this invisible empire of the satanic, in which we live, offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. And this world is fading away. It will be destroyed, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So how should we strive to live in these invisible empires? John Calvin coined this phrase from the Latin, Coram Deo. Coram Deo means in the presence of Christ. This is how we live. During the Great Awakening, Puritans called the move of the Holy Spirit revival. They said it was the presence, the manifest presence of Christ. This is how we live. During the Great Awakening, the, the great preachers all spoke of the manifest presence of Christ. There are three levels of the presence of Christ. Number one, essential presence. God's essential presence is always with us. You could call it common grace. Number two, the cultivated presence of Christ. When we know and walk with Christ in spiritual maturity. Number three, the manifest presence of Christ. The fullness of the Holy Spirit saturated our lives, filling our cup to overflowing so we slosh on everyone we meet. The intensification of our faith. The book of Acts records that they would take Paul's sweatbands, the handkerchiefs that he tied around his head when he worked. They would take 
those, his aprons or his headbands and send them out to the far-reaching areas. And through faith, people would be healed. St. Peter, in the book of Acts, says that when Peter was coming to town, they would take people out on their stretchers, lay them on the sidewalk, so that perhaps just his shadow would touch them. There's no record of his shadow healing anyone, but the scripture does say that everyone who came to Peter, just like everyone who came to Christ, was healed. That's living an intensity of faith. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 through 19. I want you guys to go home tonight. Now I want you to read first Ephesians chapter 1, 2, 3, chapter 6, and notice how many times the phrase heavenly places occurs. There's either heavenly places or high places. It's the same Greek word, epiranios. I ask God, our master, I ask Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing Christ personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life he has for us Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. The strength he, Father God, worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Right where we are. Right here right now. You are seated at the right hand of Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right where you are. Right now. How do we achieve quorum Deo? Manifest presence of Christ living in us, living through us. The manifest tangible presence of God is only achieved by living in the Word. You can't say you're living in Christ if you're not living in the Word. He is the Word. And like Jesus, we live our faith, our life of faith, on our knees. Oh, we get up and move around. We go to school, we go to work, we go to the grocery store but we live our life on our knees. In our spirit, we remain on our knees in an attitude of prayer. In summary, Psalm 137, you probably remember this scripture. The Jews have hung their harps on the willow trees and they say, how can we sing the Lord's song in this foreign pagan land? Our tormentors insisted we sing a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem, they said. But how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? We, like Israel, are held captive in a foreign land. This world is not our home. There is bondage here. There is sin, division, hate, chaos, war all around us. So how do we sing the Lord's song in this tumult, in this anarchy and derision? I'd like to read from you from E.H. Peterson. The Israelites didn't think they could sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. Their home was not in sight, but they did anyway. But how did they do it? 
They immersed themselves in Torah meditation. They immersed themselves in the Word. And before they knew it, they were praying. You ever read the Psalms? Just, just sit down to read the Psalms. Think of it as poetry. Before you know it, you're praying. It's beautiful. The Israelites were trees transplanted to Babylon. They put down roots in Babylon. They sprouted their leaves in Babylon, and they produced fruit in Babylon. We all supposed that we could pray better if we were in the right place. We put off praying until we are where we think we should be or at least where we want to be. We let our fantasies or our circumstances distract us from attending to the Word of God, which is aimed right at where we are, how we live, and it invites our answers from that very spot. Prayer, real prayer, right prayer, is answering speech. God speaks his truth. He speaks his will in our lives. He speaks his encouragement. And we answer, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Pray with me. Father, our prayer, our heart's prayer this morning is, thy will be done. Remind us, Lord, those heavenly places, they are not three heavens high. They are right here. They surround us. They envelop us. They nourish us. We are protected by your Holy Spirit. We are spiritual fish in a cesspool. But it's okay because we have provision. We are enveloped in the power, the love, and the grace of your Holy Spirit. We have ample strength to do what you call us to do. That word is maligned in our current culture. We define ample as barely enough. But you go to Webster and ample means more than enough. Your promise to us in Second Peter is that we have everything we need to lead a life, to live a life that is pleasing to you. And a life that is pleasing to you is a cup that's filled to overflowing and sloshing on everyone we meet. Make it so, Father. Make it so. In Jesus' name, amen.
Heavenly Father, let us take the message from today and let us realize every time we pray, we are praying in the right place. We're coming to you from everywhere and anywhere. It's the right thing to do and we should be comfortable. We should not wait. I would warn if we're doing it while we're driving that we keep our eyes open. But it's still the right place to talk to you when we have something that we need. So Lord, we ask that this, be, that this message is part of our heart and that we take it, take it to heart that you're always there and, we, and you're listening and we can come to you anytime, anyplace. We, we raise this up in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you still. 